Hello and welcome to the Muni Oral History Project, where we explore the stories and rich history of the Springfield Municipal Opera over the past 60 years. Stories from the people who have built, experienced, and performed what we'd like to refer to as Muni Magic. Sit back and relax and listen to these tales of Broadway under the stars. So I have today my friend Jim Dahlquist here with me. Jim has been a performer on the Muni stage and currently serves on the Muni board with me. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing great, Jacob. Thanks so much for the invitation here. Well, we are glad to have you. So let's just get down to it. What was your first Muni experience, even if it was just as an audience member? As far as audience goes, it would have been The King and I, 1995. I went with a college friend when I was out at UIS and had no idea that it existed there out on the lake, which was awesome. And then I went and saw Little Me in 1996 with one of my professors who wanted to see Steve Kaplan. Dr. Kaplan was the lead in that. And my professor was his patient. He said, ah, my dentist is in a show. Do you want to go see this? And it's like, yeah, I've been out to the Muni once before. So yeah, it was a good time. So when did you finally get the nerve to audition and get up on stage? Sure. So that would have been 1997. I had finished up at UIS and wasn't dating anybody at the time. So I was doing a little volunteer work here and there, but I had time and I had done college theater, high school, and some other community theater shows. So I came out to audition and my first selection, I believe, was for Guys and Dolls. And the audition for me was very memorable. This was when it was out at Lincolnland Community College. And I was told you want to audition in the first day. Okay. So I signed up and I was maybe like 35th, 40th, somewhere in there. And I thought to myself, well, we'll just watch and see how good all of the, the competition is. And hopefully I can rate somewhere in the middle. And the first person to audition was Doug Hahn. <laughs> and hopefully most people know who Doug Hahn is, but certainly a legend in all things music. And he opened his mouth to sing and I thought, I'm not getting up there. <laughs> this is what they are looking for as far as talent goes. I'm not even going to get close. And I think the first two or three people were so solid. And then finally, someone who wanted to just be in the dancing chorus, who was exceptional in dance, but just sang happy birthday. And I'm like, okay, well, I can sing happy birthday. So, okay, I'll stay. And I remember they would take breaks in between because this was just one long marathon session of auditions. And I'm still so appreciative for Deb Watts, 
who was an accompanist. And at the break, I went up to her, you know, there's so many people trying to get her attention. And to introduce myself quickly, I said, this is what I'm thinking of singing. And I can't even remember what I auditioned with. But she was like, oh, yeah, sure. And she plunked it out real quick. And she's like, yeah, you'll do just fine. So I had a chance to review it real quickly with her about an hour or two before I had a, the opportunity to audition. And she just made it so relaxing for me and really put me at ease. So that that helped out a lot. Yeah, and did you get cast in Guys and Dolls then? I was fortunate to get cast and I had put down Lieutenant Brannigan in case they didn't like my singing voice and then also Benny South Street. And I got called back for both. And it was, I believe, is Jerry, is it Jerry Hicks? Is that Jerry's last name? Yeah. I see Jerry all the time. I just never have to call him by his last name. And then, of course, the legendary Tom Shrewsbury. They were co-directors. And I got called back for both parts and was fortunate to get the part of Benny South Street. Oh, that's a pretty decent part for your first time out. Yeah, and I suppose that's mm -hmm. where you don't know to be nervous because they didn't know who and what I was going up against. So I just tossed my hat in the ring and it worked out well. Yeah. So um, after that, what other roles have you played out at Muni? So I have also been in the tapping course for 42nd Street and I was... Oh, have you ever tapped before? Did Gary Schull just teach you how to do on the go? Sure. I did know how to tap a little bit mm -hmm. because of another show I had been in years ago in community theater in Chicago. So I got some kind of emergency tap lessons then and always hung on to the shoes. But probably, you know, maybe a month or two before auditioning for that, I went back and I took some lessons just to try and get myself back up to speed. So, yeah. yeah. And okay. then I was uh, President Roosevelt in Annie. So uh, that was a, a great time. And then I didn't do theater for, you know, many, many years. My wife and I had our, our daughter, Caroline, and spending quality time there. And finally, she got to an age where it was fun to start going back and auditioning again. And then from there, it, I was able to get into Peter Pan. I got to play Smee. And I was a grandpa in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And then uh, most recently, the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz, which I believe was the last show the Muni has done before COVID. Yeah. And so you were Peter Pan and the Gil Oferman one, or not, you weren't Peter Pan. You were Smee and the Smee. Gil Oferman, Peter Pan. The Gil Oferman one. Yes. Yeah, in 2013. Right. Or Gil and and They co-directed it, but yeah. Right. Okay. So what are some of your favorite memories from any of those shows? Well, I will say a lot of my strongest memories come from that first show because again it's that first experience and you know everything is new you're trying to kind of just figure out how everything works but what I remember about Guys and Dolls is it was the first show of the season 
And I was in the very first number, which is Fugue for Tin Horns. And I'm obviously not the best singer in the world, but perhaps one of my greatest fears, weaknesses is timing. And the fugue is very much an independent, almost like a row, row, row your boat. I got the horse right here. His name is Paul. And then somebody else comes in. And I thought, I'm going to have to perform this number in front of all of the other casts because that's that first show of the season brings out, you know, certainly a, a lot of people. And then with the serenade, I thought that was really cool where the, the show after you comes and sings. And that was first chance I got to meet Gus Gordon and, you know, still a legend in theater, but at the time he was also, you know, big wig weatherman and, I came from Chicago. So, you know, if you, if you ran into somebody who was on the local news, that was a pretty big deal. And so I still carried that with me, not realizing that in Springfield, it happens a little more often, but I was awestruck there that I got Gus Gordon, uh, part of the serenade. And so that whole night was just very, very exciting. And you talk, I know a little bit about, you know, Muni family. Well, in, in that particular show, uh, Deb Watt's sister, Becky, she had the lead in Guys and Dolls. Oh, yeah. And then their sister, Mary, was in the pit. And I believe she was musical director mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes she, she'll be on percussion. But all, all three of them were there. And again, they are all nice. But everyone in that show uh, was wonderful. So some other just uh, memories off the, the top of my head here. We'll go with the, the last show I was in with Wizard of Oz. And I really have to give credit to all of the, the volunteers who work off stage. And with the Wizard of Oz playing, playing the Scarecrow, the makeup and costume change for that was really, really tight. Even though if you were to watch the show, it would seem like there was a, a lot of time, but I had to go run off from the tornado and end up full-fledged with all this different makeup and costume in the time that Dorothy, you know, experiences the, the munchkins and munchkin land. So uh, I remember uh, Sally doing my, my makeup and oh my goodness, we, it was just a, a race against time. So when I think about that scene where Dorothy is, you know, interacting with the Munchkins and they, and they sing the Munchkin Land song and Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. It's like, all right, all right, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And just hoping that I would make it out onto stage in time. So in theory, I really should have been nervous, you know, going out for that first number, but I was re really just thrilled that I, I could make it to my uh, post in time there. Yeah. So do you have any memories from Annie? And we'll get to the most recent Annie in a little bit, but from the Annie you were actually in. Yeah, that was, ironically, when I auditioned that year, I had just put, you know, best part available. And I think I was gunning for one or 
two other shows that year. Not that I had, I didn't want to be an Annie, but that was just the way it listed out that year. So I was really pleasantly surprised that I got a call back for that show. And there was a, a lot of really great people. I think that was the, the first time that I worked with Anna Meisenbacher and she was an orphan in that show. And John O'Connor, we had worked together before, but he was Rooster. But in that show, I distinctly remember I didn't come on until the the big scene, I think, was in, in the second act. Yeah. So I wasn't in the first act at all for, for whatever reason. I was not in Hooverville. They had enough people to cover that. So you spend all this time, you know, it's got to be a good hour and a half, almost two hours getting, getting into your character. You have the time to do that. But at the, at the time, back in the late 90s, they were maybe a, a little bit uh, shorter on quality microphones. But I was to share a microphone with the, the little orphan, Molly. And in that show when they did uh, never fully dressed. So the orphans do the reprise. I was to get my microphone from her when she came off stage. So, and it was of course on the opposite side of the stage. So she has to run off and you know, she has to unclip it and run the, the wire through her dress and whatnot and give it to me. And then I have to run to the other side of the stage and I only had the reprise of Easy Street. So it was not a very long scene. And I just remember thinking, how ironic that I've been waiting two hours to get on stage and I would have killed for another minute or two. Because some, some nights I was literally still kind of just pulling the mic, right, microphone through and making sure I was, I was situated. But that, that show at the time, I think, set records because not only did we get through every show without rain, it never even threatened rain on a single night. So we never had to worry, oh, is the, are we gonna lose the audience because they're afraid it's gonna rain? So we, we had some great uh, audience totals for, for that show as well. So, well, since we're talking about Annie, we might as well just get back in 2018. This is when I really got to know you, your daughter, actually got to play Annie. So what was that like playing Annie's dad? <laughs> sure, that, and it's certainly more uh, her story to tell, of course. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, you know, anybody who is involved in theater and has children, you want your children to enjoy theater and have an opportunity to play some strong and memorable parts. So that, yeah, that was all an incredible experience. And the the show, of course, was, was wonderful. And you were in that uh, as well. Yes. So, and, you know, I certainly remember as well, I mean, as I said, in, in addition to being in the show, which was an incredible experience, the audition process as well, because you're always thinking, what are the odds? What are the odds it's going to be my child? And that was, that was just an incredible experience all the way around. But with Caroline, another show I remember was uh, Sound of Music. That was her first larger supporting role. And 
she was so young. I mean, she was maybe, I think, eight or, eight or nine years old at, at was the she most. The, was she the youngest of the Von Trapp children? Yeah, she was, she was Gretel. Okay, yeah. I can never remember their names other than Liesel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think she was, you know, probably about nine years old or going to turn nine. And, you know, with Annie, we have been, you know, certainly uh, a lot more aware of, you know, what's going on and, and helping out. But with Sound of Music, I just had not seen her perform a lot of the numbers at the house or know much about the show. And I still laugh when I, when I think about us seeing her the, the first time she came out in a couple of those numbers. And they had done something to her hair. They put him like in looped braids and my wife, Holly turned to me and she's like, she looks like a puppy. You know, I mean, we just <laughs> laughed through that whole show. And that was just so exciting since that was really, you know, uh, one of her first opportunities to be in a stronger supporting role and to have her own lines and things like that. And she loved being with the older kids. I mean, so she was, it was totally in her element there. Yeah. So um, one of the phrases that we use a lot in the theater world is the show must go on. And that can mean practically anything you want it to mean in any various circumstances. But for this oral history project, I'm just phrasing it as things that go wrong. So wardrobe malfunctions, set falling down, choreography mishaps, tripping on stage, flubbed lines, um, orchestra gets off from the vocalists. Um, Somebody misses a verse and yeah. So is there anything that comes to mind? Right. So with that show uh, and out at Muni, I, I've been pretty fortunate that in, in my performances, I was able to uh, at least, at least pull it off without any, uh, I think, major issues from the audience. You know, I, I would recognize mistakes, but I can tell you, you know, it, it's wonderful to have Tech Week to realize, uh-oh, I'm going to have a problem because I, I had some, some pretty horrific everythings that you just mentioned with wardrobe not working, you know, missed cues, forgotten lines. And I can remember with The Wizard of Oz, and it might have been maybe a night or two before we opened. And there is the I've, I Found the Golden Ticket song. So Charlie. Oh, you mean Willy uh, Wonka. And Willy Wonka, yes. Yeah. And so with, and yes. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Sometimes it, you know, I'm thinking of the book there. But yeah, so with Willy Wonka, the, the number starts with I Got the Golden Ticket. And it's Susan who played Charlie. So she starts the number and it goes into this whole big choral number and she comes home and she wakes up the grandparents and lets them know that she found it. And that's such an iconic song. I mean, that was the number that I was really looking forward to uh, in that show do, doing the duet. And I just completely blinked while I, you know, and I'm just laying there in the dark in the bed do, 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 do. And I, I just completely blanked on the verse. And I'm like, I know I've gone over this dozens and dozens of times. And for whatever reason, I just blanked. And the, uh, 
Lisa Tosi, who's the, the, the grandma, and she's laying there next to me. And I don't know if I whispered I didn't know or the, the lines finally came to me. But I think I told her that uh, next night that I completely went. So she would like whisper, you know, the one word, just in case I was going to forget, you know, to get me started. But then there was another uh, in, in Peter Pan, the night before we opened, I, don't, I just completely blanked that I had one last scene. So I actually started, because they weren't going to do bows. So like, we're going to get you out. But I started to take off my costume. And one of the Lost Boys was like, dude, don't you have one more scene? And thank goodness he told me, because I just barely made it, you know, to come back through the window there. And uh, into the the study there with with the the other lost boys so that that was pretty comical in itself but no and i had a chance you know you're talking about memorable scenes uh in willy wonka the opportunity to fly oh my gosh that that was incredible and also really really terrifying um because uh Susan Wheeler, of course, you know, her dad was on her flight, you know, and uh, a couple of the other experts. And while I had very good people work in my flight, they were teenagers. And so I thought, all it's going to take is one slight distraction, and I'm going to end up, you know, plunging right into the stage. So I was very, very thankful and supportive that uh, that, that never happened. But... And with Wizard of Oz, I know we had, uh, boy, there was something right up until opening night. Our, our tech was wonderful, but we had like a, a video of uh, the wizard and we weren't sure we were going to get the video to work. And it, it, something happened at the very last minute with, you know, with the, with the way the cords were set up or whatnot. But we did finally get that to work. But that was one of those where, I think right up until the night we opened during that tech week, well, maybe it was going to be done live. Maybe we were going to be trying to respond to the recording, that type of thing. Yeah. So one of the phrases that we use a lot out at Muni is Muni magic. Mm -hmm. And that means various things to various people. What does Muni magic mean to you? Well, when I think of Muni Magic, it's really as an audience member and just being so awed and, and bowled over. And I must say, Muni really does such an incredible job, even before anyone opens their mouth to speak a line or to sing. Those sets, the lighting, the costumes, it is just incredible. And I almost hate naming shows off the top of my head here because I'm sure there will be multiple other ones that I think of. But in, in that first season uh, that I was in, in 1997, I remember going back and I think the sh third show was Secret Garden and Lee Steiner had directed that. And just the way that the set had been painted and there were, you know, different faces hidden within the garden that, you know, if you weren't looking closely right off the bat, you might miss. And the set was just incredible and all of those voices. And again, that was uh, Anna Meisenbacher. She had the, the lead in that and she was just incredible. But 
I wholeheartedly admit I saw that show a couple of times and I, I cried both times, you know, through it there at the end. I didn't know the story, but also the uh, Jekyll and Hyde set that we, we did out there. Again, I really thought, you know, we're on the streets of London here. And I just incredible the way they got the, the set to just look so authentic there. And I remember they did Godspell a number of years ago. And I mean, they had every type of neon color uh, out there with between the costumes and the set. So yeah, to, for me, it, it's the magic of seeing all of that. And then just the, the beauty of the environment, you know, you, you do really get the moon and the stars and being able to watch it go from, from dusk into, you know, complete darkness. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So then another phrase that we use a lot is Muni family. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit with your daughter doing shows too. Um, but Muni family to some people, it's just a family affair. And I know your wife's never been on stage, but she certainly is a presence and has helped on numerous occasions too. So it is a family affair for the three of you, or it can just mean those lifelong friends that you make. What does Muni family mean to you? Yeah, I would say, well, as you touched on with my daughter doing theater and my wife always helping out and being supportive there that, you know, with, with Muni and frankly, I give a shout out to all theater. It is really an opportunity to bond and make lifelong friendships. And while I didn't meet my wife on stage, I know other people have met their soulmates through the theater. And, you know, from that first show, uh, Deb Brutus, John O'Connor, Rick Dunham, those are all people that I still keep in touch with. And in fact, John sang at my wedding and Rick performed at our reception as Elvis himself is. So, you know, to be able to, you know, feel like you have that theater family. And now with, you know, Facebook and social media, there are people that I've done shows with, you know, 30 years ago who've put together reunions and things of that nature. So, yeah, I would definitely encourage anyone who's ever thinking of, of auditioning. Muni is a, a great way to come out and build your extended family and keep those lifelong friendships going. Yeah. So that segues into the next question is, who are some of the special people you worked with? Some people just don't want to start really going down that path very much because they're afraid they'll miss somebody or just want to focus on those that have left us. However, you want to tackle this question. Sure. So I would say that uh, certainly in that first show, working with Tom Shrewsbury, I mean, there's really a, a reason that we have that, that building named after him out there. But he was so genuine and just so, so kind to all of us. And I remember him telling some theater stories of he, for, for example, had, uh, had a, his roommate was coach from Cheers and, you know, telling some of those stories there about how he got into theater. And, you know, it, he was just a legend. 
And I know I still keep, like I say, uh, John O'Connor, uh, he was in the first show that I was in and uh, we've remained in touch. And I think it's ironic that, you know, Deb Rudis, uh, she was also in that, that first show. She and John played off each other as the, the comic leads. And now we're serving on the board together. And Dr. Kaplan, uh, he's always been a presence. And I think that's so interesting to um, watch his, his son now, Damien. And I know all of his children are musically inclined, but you know, Damien, just an incredible force out there. So uh, to watch all of those, those people work, but yeah, really every, in every show I've been in, uh, you know, Dennis O'Brien, uh, Lori Barnes, uh, Gil and Ann uh, Opperman, everybody has just been wonderful to work with. And when you see them, you still feel that connection. So if I have worked with somebody at Muni, it's always nice to be able to bump into them. And Springfield is fortunate enough to have other theater options that, you know, you get that crossover and you're able to share those stories and have that common bond with cast members, you know, right from day one, because you've already known and met them. Yeah. So you mentioned being on the board. I, um, so let's just talk a little bit about that. Um, when did you come onto the board? I think it's been three years now. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. It gets a little uh, obscured with the COVID crisis. Yeah. And how did you get onto the board? Well, I got a call from, from Marge and she walked me through and what the, what the process would be like. And I, you know, I kind of gave her the, the thumbs up. And then I think the, the first indoctrination there is the, it's in, in October, they, they have like a, a dinner there um, out at the, at the Sangma club. And yeah. And then from there, it's kind of, a lull because you get brought on in October and I didn't, I don't think I, I had much to do until I got maybe a couple months reprieve and then being on the auditions committee with, with yourself. Yeah. You know, and going from there. Yeah. So um, one of the people that special people that Muni lost um recently was Gene Rubley and of course he was a force out at Muni and I know you came in towards um, the end of Gene's active involvement with Muni but um, do you have any memorable Gene Rubley stories? The one that uh, most comes to mind is I ran into both Gene Rubley and Tom Shrewsbury and a couple of other Muni folks Legally Blonde too was shot here in Springfield for their interior uh, capital scenes. So they had just an open audition and all of us met there just to like, you know, they were taking pictures and asking questions and that type of thing. And Gene invited us back uh, to his house. And I remember getting, I think a little buzzed and, you know, it was midday and just listening to 
stories with, with Gene and Tom Shrewsbury there. And then I was also fortunate enough to be in 1776 with Gene Rubley. And this would have gone back probably to like maybe 2001, 2002, out at theater in the park. And, oh, he was always a hoot. I mean, he, Gene always, always had a joke and a kind word. He was, he was wonderful to work with. Yeah, um, he'll be missed dearly. So the last question I have is the deep one, but it's so important nonetheless, is what makes Meany special? Sure. Well, I would say it, it really is an outdoor summer tradition. I mean, that is something that people can look forward to uh, right along with the state fair. And I think the Muni has done a, a great job over the years of just maintaining their sustainability. So you always can count on, you know, other than, you know, world pandemics that they are going to be putting up a show in some capacity and they take the time to plan so that they can continue renovating and uh, building new sites and making improvements. And then of course, all of the volunteers that, you know, go into making that, uh, operate and not just the backstage of course but you got the concession stands and all of the parking and helping people get to and from uh, their seats and when my daughter was in Annie my my family an extended family made a trip from Chicago to come and see her and my parents at the time were in their late 80s and boy, they did not like to travel or, or didn't feel comfortable traveling that far, but certainly an experience like, like that was worth it. And I can remember, uh, you know, Mary Kate Smith, uh, you know, cert certainly uh, a very reliable lead at most any year at Muni. She was driving the golf cart, you know, for, my mom to get down uh, into her seats. And I thought, you know, this is really ties in, you know, the specialness and the, the family with, with Muni and just the fact that everyone chips in when and where they're needed, even if they're not up on stage. And yeah, it's, it's always, you know, very uh, humbling and appreciative when you've got people that are just always willing to help out. And, you know, Muni puts those shows on in the summer, but I think there's a presence year round with other uh, volunteer opportunities that we get involved with and all of the planning that has to go into it uh, as well. And I would like to say, you know, March Birchtold, uh, obviously she's on the board with us, but when I did 42nd Street years ago, she was my dance partner. So we were always uh, paired up together and she was such a hoot. I mean, she was always trying to bail me out of my tap steps and, you know, covering for me there when, when I would muck up. But yeah, that, I think it, it's been a wonderful 50 plus years and uh, hopefully we can keep that tradition going for many years more. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for telling us your Muni story. Thank you very much, Jacob, for the opportunity. And hopefully this can uh, be a, 
a small footnote in the, the wonderful work that you're doing there. And it's really nice to get these stories out there and let people share and enjoy them. Well, thank you so much. And you have a great rest of your day. Great. Thank you. You do as well. Thank you for listening to the Muni Oral History Project. This is an ongoing effort to capture the memories and stories of the Springfield Municipal Opera. If you have pictures, videos, or stories you'd like to contribute to this effort, please email history at themuni.org. Your hosts have been Jacob Potty and Craig McFarland. Production assistance by Vanessa Ferguson and Jeremy Geckner. Special thank you to the Muni Board of Managers and the Muni Board of Trustees for their support in this effort. And thank you to all the Muni family who continue to help us create magic every summer.